0: I was born in a small town called Masjid Suleiman in southern Iran. I was born
1: in Syria. I was
0: born in Hamburg, Germany. I was
1: born in Congo. I was born in Tanzania in a refugee camp. I was
0: born in Singapore. I'm
1: from Ireland. I was born in Thailand refugee I was born in Mumbai.
2: I was born in Gyeongchang, Laos. I was
1: born in England. I was born in Costa Rica.
0: Welcome to Many Roads to Here. Bringing the voices of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers to a national conversation about migration and identity, I'm your host, Caitlin Dwyer. Today we hear the voice of Saran Kut, who survived the Khmer Rouge takeover of Cambodia and the genocide that followed. Deegan Larkin has his story.
1: Saran Koo was only 10 when he and his family fled Cambodia in the dark of night as the Khmer Rouge, infamous for their genocidal killing fields, were waging war with the Vietnamese military. Hungry, scared, and exhausted, Saran came to a border road between Cambodia and Thailand, between death and safety. We begin on this road that led to a refugee camp, where danger lurked behind him and ahead of him.
2: We would travel at nighttime, and you you can only go so far at night, Right? you can only go so fast. So it took us about over a week. So we we just moving slowly, and then we got to this one part of the country where there's a main road, and that road, I mean, is used by the military. So we have to cross it. We have to cross that main road. And just about ready to cross it, the baby, a baby in the same, the group that we were in, was crying. It was crying so hard, it, it would not stop crying. It was just cry, 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 cry. And the mother was trying to put, you know, her hand above the mouth and nothing would stop it from crying. And, you know, in the middle of the night, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? they're talking among each other what are we going to do should we risk going in or should we wait for the baby you know to stop crying or should we you know leave the ba- leave the family behind all these things were being discussed right and there was one suggestion as to kill the baby cuz are stories where people have to sacrifice their, their babies because that's what slowed them down or what get everybody killed, right? So we had to make the decision.
1: So many decisions before this point by Saran's family that got him to this road. So many risks, so many dangers. Before the totalitarian communist Khmer Rouge swept into power in Cambodia and took over his village in 1975, Saran lived with his parents and sisters in Chungkau. His father was a teacher, a volleyball player, and a singer who entertained friends and neighbors.
2: People always talk about how athletic he was and how much talent he had with arts, you know, dancing and singing and performing. And, and then on top of that, he was a teacher. He was an intellect. He was, he educate people. Before the, the fall of Cambodia, everybody know that the Khmer Rouge is gonna take over the country. and A lot of people in that town were leaving. My families, my uncles and cousins and, you know, aunt, they took the opportunity to leave. And we, my family, was also was going to leave. You know, my mother was telling me that we have everything packed. Uh, We're all ready to go. And then my father decided to stay back because he didn't want to leave my grandmother, because she was old and she was not well. So he, he just unpacked, unload everything and from the vehicle, and we stayed back. My father, he was a smart man. But he, his weakness is his heart. He, he just don't believe that people could be cruel. He, he, he just don't believe that Cambodia could be that bad. So, he, he was naive in that way, into thinking that he would be safe and we would be safe.
1: Despite the danger, Saran's father continued his daily life in the face of the brutality of the Khmer Rouge. One night, when his father was at a neighbor's party, a knock at the door woke five-year-old Saran up at his home.
2: That night, when it's nightfall, the soldiers came to our house when I was asleep, when everyone was asleep except for my mother and him. And so they came into our home and asked for him. My mother said that he was crying and hugging all his children, three, three children, kids, babies. And before he left, they took him, he told my mom that he's hungry, he's gonna be back, save him some rice, because you know he'll be back to eat it. And so they took him, tied his in the hand behind his back, put him on a bike and took him outside of town. And from the neighbors, from the people around, uh, uh, you know, on the road, saying that they heard him crying, begging them for mercy. Yeah. And, and the, the saddest part is that those soldiers knew us, they were from the village. I heard they beat him to death. A few days later, my mom went to do her things and she spotted a, a lady with a flip flop, a blue flip flop, just one side. That was my father's flip flop. She asked her, Where did you get that? And she said that she found it on the street. So she knew back then that he's not coming back.
1: disappearance of fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers was a familiar story for most families in 1975 Cambodia. The country had just emerged from an eight-year civil war that left the Khmer Rouge, backed by the Viet Cong and the Chinese Communist Party, on top. The Khmer Rouge waged a genocide that killed more than a million people.
2: Cambodia fell to communism, which is to the Khmer Rouge, Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge took control of Cambodia, and they made Cambodia into a hell on earth. During that time, in the span of you know less than four years, over 1.7 million uh, people died. You know, whether it's murder, starvation, a quarter of the population of Cambodia during that time. It was a genocide that nobody knew or talked about. Khmer Rouge, which is Cambodian Red, Red Cambodian stands for communism, right? They were regular farmers, peasant people of Cambodia that were recruited by a leader uh, by the name of Pol Pot. He was an educated and intellectual that started the movement, the Khmer Rouge movement that fought against the imperialism of American. Regular Khmer people, regular people got recruited to fight the American because the American were dropping bombs on Cambodia. America was not at war with Cambodia. But Americans were dropping bomb in Cambodia and Laos due to the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And that's where the Khmer Rouge came to power because the King of Cambodia back then helped recruit, helped Pol Pot recruit people, uh, soldiers to join the Khmer Rouge because, hey, the American is killing us. It's bombing us. Why are they doing that? So we need people to come and join this guerrilla group, there's thousands of people. You can imagine thousands of people joined the the group and that's how they took control. When the the communities took over, it was a scary time. It scared the hell out of me. For the people, it it wasn't the same anymore. Uh, For the town, people were on edge, you know, uh, don't know what they're gonna do, don't know how to react, don't know how to live. More, everybody was just, Staying away from each other, right? There's, there's not a lot of commu- commuting. They're separating. The country went into chaos.
1: The soldiers who would take the villagers from their homes, like Saran's father, would often tell them that they were going to Anka, the generic word for government. But most Cambodians knew those who went to Anka never returned. It wasn't long before Saran's mother got her summoning to Anka.
2: That's the key word. I mean, that's the word that people know that when they hear that we're taking you to Anka, when you hear that you either do whatever you can to escape, to run away, to, you know, or you're just gonna you're gonna die. You know, she cried. Just like okay, it's my turn now, right, and so but she didn't make a, a fuss and was, you know she she co- cooperated and she she went with them, and so they took her, and I was left with my two sisters, younger sisters, and my grandmother, who was and not well, and she can't do anything. You know, she can't do anything as far as, you know, farming or hunting. Or, and my grandmother would say, why the hell are you leaving me with your kids? She would talk out loud. She would say that a lot. She could piss at my mom for uh, being taken. It's just, you know, like showing frustration and you know, anger. Not at my mom, but sickly, but what's going on. So I'm now I'm the head of the household.
1: The Khmer Rouge also had demands for Saran. At seven, he was called in to work for the Communist Party, chopping in the fields. Meanwhile, in the killing fields, Saran's mother worked out a way to get back to him. One night, there was a knock at the door, but this was a good one.
2: We all thought she was dead until one night, she showed up in the middle of the night. She took the risk of escaping from her camp, working camp, she didn't die. She just wanted to see us, make sure that we're still alive and and let us know that she's still alive. So to see her come back and check up on us and she's still alive it's beyond happiness beyond exciting beyond thrill beyond hopeful and so it was just incredible feeling and my grandmother said why are you haunting me because you know she thought she was a ghost but she was real she came back when she was taken to the war camp it was harsh it was very hard cuz she had to clear the field clear the forest clear the trees they do it from dawn to dusk and if you don't do the work you're useless and they just kill you there were people that were just being shot or being hung being bayonet because they're starved starving they're, they they can they have no energy to work and And so they just couldn't go on. And so the soldier would just kill them. The killing field is just a mass, mass grave. Instead of underground, it's just on top. And those people, they're not human to do what they did, but they did it. That's why I say that my mother is amazing. (laughs) Because she survived. Being a female, doing all those things. She's smart with a heart. She captures people with her kindness, with her love. So they have compassion for her and that's why she's able to stay alive. She taught me to be strong. She taught me to be true, to be a good person. She means everything to me personally and to my family.
1: Saran's mother's return was brief. She had risked it all to see her children again, but she didn't dare make her absence known in the camp. By sunrise, she was back in the fields.
2: And when she left this time around, I feel hope. We thought she was gone and gone forever. I have hope that to see her again, that's when I asked my grandmother several weeks later for me to go and look for her. search for her she said okay then she would tell me to go to a certain town I don't remember and and then there was a group of travelers that going that way and she asked me to go tag along with those people because you know again I'm not even barely seven years old so I did I was gone but I remember that halfway through it they didn't take me all the way to that town they went to the other direction, and they said, "Okay, you now go that way and and so alone <laughs> going that way, you have to go through the jungle to get to that town and so I was scared because imagine being in the middle of the jungle and and you know all these trees and forests and you know and just Animals and you don't know what's going on and I'm just like, okay. I Gotta go. I gotta go. So I went and then doubting myself. No, I need to go back because I don't know where I'm going. I need to go back and then Turn around. No, I need to go in my mind. I just What am I doing right? (laughs) By myself, what am I doing? So I made that decision to go forward until I get out of the forest, the jungle, and into a town, and there's big relief, right? It might not be that big of a jungle or a forest, but back for me, during that time, it was a lifetime. And then there's a house of a lady, and I went over to her and cried, and I asked her for help to help me take me to this town. That was where my mother is being taken. And so she did, she took me there. And when I got there, she was there. (laughs) And she was like, what are you doing here? You know, how did you get here? What are you doing here? Like, I don't know, you know, like, I'm here. And I was so happy. She was happy. It was the happiest time, moment my
1: life. This time, when Saran and his mother reunited, there was no sunrise departure. Saran stayed with his mother until she found a safer home for him under the care of a trusted monk, at least as safe as one could be under the Khmer Rouge as even monks were the target of vicious killings, killings that would eventually take the lives of more than 25,000 monks. Saran had to change his name and only refer to the monk as uncle to keep them both safe. Even so, Saran's family was finally gaining some security, and the country began stabilizing. The monk found Saran's grandmother and sisters and helped keep them all safe in a new village. As the Vietnamese began pushing out the Khmer Rouge, the war started winding down. At last, his mother was free to return to the family.
2: You know, it took her many days to get there. She met, she got home, and she met up with all her uncles, and people know that she's alive, and we're alive, and you know, my family is still alive, but in, just in a different town, in a different uh, village. And so she came back.
1: Then Saran's uncle re-entered their lives. He had fled to the U.S. earlier in the war and had the means to help Saran's family escape to Thailand. Once again, the family found themselves on the brink of safety, packed and ready to leave. But Saran's grandmother was still ill, and this time, Saran's sister was off in a different village tending to her. With little time to lose, Saran's mother had a familiar decision to make. Leave with some of the family or stay behind as one.
2: So she's like, I can't leave when my other, my daughter is somewhere (laughs) days away from here. What the decision she had to make as a mother. She talked it over with my, her uncle. They said that, well, my father's other little brother is in the military and he knows his way. And, and so, once we, my mother, me, and my youngest sister get to Thailand, then we can send my uncle to go to Cambodia to get my other sister up to Thailand as well. That was the plan. And so my mother said, well that is the best option that we have or else we're never ever going to have an opportunity again to come to Thailand to escape.
1: With their hearts in their throats, Saran and his family fled with plans to bring his sister over later. They met up with their uncle's guide who took their group through the arduous journey towards Thailand. There, They found themselves on that border road on that night with the screaming baby with fears they'd be discovered by nearby soldiers.
2: So we had to make the decision. and The mother didn't have the heart to kill her baby. And the family didn't. So we decided to hold off for a little bit longer. And then the baby fell asleep and it falls asleep and I'm like wow okay so now what do we do like if the baby falls asleep and we should we take the risk of us crossing the road while the baby's asleep and what happens if it wake up and start crying again right man that was a tough decision for for everybody and I remember, we were just waiting there, waiting there until they finally made the decision, okay, the heck with it, we're just going to go, take that risk, so we did. We made the journey, we crossed it over the road, and we just, after we crossed, we just just on as fast as we can, right, without, hopefully that not the baby wouldn't wake up and start crying again, and so. Fortunately, it did not wake up and it did not cry and we made it through.
1: <laughs> the danger of the crying child reminded Saran of another time when a child's fate was in his hands. A childhood memory of pulling his little sister out of a pond to save her life. Now, his uncle had extended a hand across countries pulling his family from Cambodia to safety. The group hid out in the mountains for several days, fearful of the Thai military. Did they dare come out of hiding? Eventually, they ran out of food and were surviving on berries. They took another chance, climbing down the mountain. There were no soldiers, and even better, they found taro roots, which they feasted on.
2: We were were in heaven. I mean, we were just in heaven. We pulled it out, and we just eating it raw. And that gave us a lot of protein, like strength, energy, you know, to, to move on. And man, I, I've never thought taro could pay, taste so good. You know, <laughs> we made it and, and then we journey on for the next several hours until we reached the camp.
1: The family had gotten separated during the frenzied journey, but reunited outside the refugee camp in Thailand. Now relatively safe, Saran so remembers eating porridge and rice, learning English, and watching movies such as Frankenstein, even singing Christmas songs.
2: We, we get to be family, friends, without having to worry about dying, you know, having to worry about death, having to worry about starving. And, you know, I get to eat candies. I can go to the market and buy candies and, you know, eat them. and Just amazing, amazing place. You know, for me, it was heaven. It was like, this is it. <laughs> this is where, you know, what it means to be in heaven, right? As a nine year old kid, <laughs> that's, that, to me, that's what it is, right? And so that's my camp experience. And I will never forget that. That's when I, I realized, like, life, how peaceful life can be. You don't have to worry about bullets running flying, you know, bombs dropping and (laughs) yeah, it's just peace for me. In
1: 1981, the family received papers to immigrate to the U.S., arriving in San Francisco and then settling in Portland, Oregon. Saran entered third grade, adjusting to life in the U.S. and learning the language through ESL classes. He earned his degree from Portland State University and in 1996 became a U.S. citizen. Perhaps it was his father's affable influence, or maybe the influence of his mother's cooking, or his desire for a sense of community and preserving his Cambodian heritage. Probably all of it. That led Saran to open Mekong Bistro, a restaurant-turned-karaoke bar. In 2015, he organized Portland's first Family New Year event. More than 3,000 people from the city's Cambodian, Lao, Thai, Burmese, and Hmong community came. And now Saran, who raises money for Cambodian orphans, has plans to open a cultural center in the city called District 82.
2: District 82 is the project. And District 82 is a multicultural community plaza, and it will bring everyone together through food, through art, through entertainment, through everything that you can imagine It will happen at District 82. I'm excited. I can't wait to see it happen. To go from starving to death to building a community plaza. So, forget about the past. I mean, don't dwell on it. But move forward. Be kind to one another. Work together and and thrive together. And when that happens, good things, will come out of it.
1: While continuing to bring his culture to Portland, Saran also took several trips back to Cambodia. Each time he found a way to help his community there by cleaning up nearby temples and providing financial help for people in need.
2: We all struggle. We all go through hardship, but don't stop living your life. And that's why my wife and I we live our life to the fullest We're we're still alive. I'm half a century old and <laughs> I don't know how much time left I have left here, but while I am here, I might as well enjoy as much as I can and then, you know, work hard, but also, also don't forget to live because I've lost friends that younger than me that they didn't get a chance to live. I hope that my legacy would be a man that brought our community together.
0: Many Roads to Hear is a production of The Immigrant Story, a nonprofit based in Portland, Oregon. This episode was written by Deegan Larkin and Fran Silverman. Our audio editing was done by Deegan Larkin, assisted by Greg Palmer and Richard March. Original music was composed by Corey Larkin. The original interview was conducted in the fall of 2020 by Garrett Russell, and our executive producer is the always encouraging Sankar Raman. To learn more about Saron's experience, head to our website and you can watch the documentary To Bear Witness Building Community, which was produced by The Immigrant Story in collaboration with Northwest Documentary. This episode is made possible by a generous contribution from Oregon Cultural Trust. For more stories, visit theimmigrantstory.org backslash manyroads, listen live at prp.fm, or stream us wherever you get your podcasts.